when you're needing to grow is that things don't work all the time. And, uh, and sometimes they have little boxes over air conditioning things and you have to have the right tool to sneak into it to hit the button. And I didn't have my ruler today. So uh, we're kind of working on halfway. But, uh, but when we see these first two these, these first two verses, and, and oftentimes, if we're honest, and, and I was thinking about this, that we really don't even think about the introductions on a lot of these letters, because they're all basically the same. And, and so, the first thing that we see is, the, is very important, and that's that we need to grow in our understanding of our role. And that, that's, that's the first way in which we'll grow. And, and you can see here that Peter starts... His letter, much like Paul and other New Testament authors, when he states that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In Titus 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. In James 1, James says, James, a servant of God. In Jude 1, says, Jude, a servant of Jesus. So obviously there's this this common thought that they understood their role. And so the first thing we need to look at that is, okay, so how do we understand our role? We need to grow in understanding our role. And basically you see here that Peter is positioning himself under a master. He's saying, Peter, a servant and apostle. And in this case, that master is Jesus Christ. He's saying, um, Peter, He's introducing himself as the author. Um, Peter, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I am under him. Okay, he doesn't stop there. He says apostle, which is, which is critical to understand too, because if he wasn't an apostle, then we shouldn't listen to what he has to say. That was his authority that he was sent with. Okay, the, the people that were sent directly by Jesus are the apostles. Okay, and so that gives him authority to speak into the church. But it's interesting that, that he leads with servant. Because oftentimes we would take the authority first and then say, well, I'll do what you need me to do. You know, I, I could say, well, I'm going to be the pastor, but then I'll help you. No, it should be, I'm a serving you, and then I get to be the pastor. And we should take that heed. And Peter uses this distinction because when we see the rest of this book, he's not, he, he's actually very blunt in what he's teaching. He's saying, here's what's going to happen, especially chapter 2 when he's talking about the different heresies that are going to come from within the church. If he wasn't an apostle, he can't speak to that. So we're going to need to grow in our understanding of our role because we are his servants. And until we realize that, we'll be walking the wrong way. We might be headed in the right direction, but it'll be for the wrong reason. And when I was thinking about this... um, distinction of servant, um, my mind always goes to movies just because I randomly remember every movie that I watch. I don't know why, I just do. And it drives Lindsay crazy because we'll be watching a movie and she's like, we haven't seen this before. And I'm like, yeah, this is about to happen. And it's like, I don't know why, I just remember stupid things. Oftentimes I remember the stuff I shouldn't. And then I don't remember what I should. But that's why we have reminders on phones and stuff like that. But uh, it made me think of the movie Braveheart. And, and, and part of that movie, um, he had met with the princess. The, the king had sent the princess to meet with William Wallace. And then um, they had come up with an agreement or whatever. And then later on, they, he's, in the, he's in their castle, their fortress at that time. And, and her escort's coming up. 
because she had heard of the king's plans to go against what he had said. And so she sent her escort to, do, to, to warn him. And that's the sense of servant that we get here with Peter, is that she was under the princess. She was sent. She was sent, but she went gladly. It wasn't a slavery that we think of. Some of your translations might say that, might say, Peter, a slave. Okay, but we can't think of slave because here in America, we think slavery, we think south, and we think slavery, like forced slavery. And that's not what he's talking about here, but he's also not talking about just this voluntary, I'll go do what I want to. He's still under a master. He's an agent of the master. And, and in that movie, the, the escort of the princess, she was an agent of the princess. She went, but she also went with her power. The words that she had had the same meaning. And you, you see that in that movie. And um, that's the same thing that Peter is giving us today, is that he is a servant. He's attached to, to a master. He's an agent of a master. And he goes willingly because he knows who the master is. He knows and understands that the master, in this case, that Jesus is for him and he's sending him out. It's not just to go with authority as an apostle, it's to go as a servant. What do I need to do for you? And that's the same attitude that we need to have. How many of us, when we were asked, what is God, what is our relationship with God, how many of us would actually say we're a servant first? No, our mind defaults to what has God done for us instead of what we are doing for him. And a lot of times that, that's where you get confusion in life is not that we're not seeing God work. It's that we're seeing God work only and we're not doing anything. It's what am I going to get out? And sadly, that's what a lot of people that, that read the Bible even, they get in to get out instead of just be me, a servant. And so our heart should be the same as Peter's here. We should understand that if we're going to grow and mature, that we have to understand our role. And then when we understand our role, we can actually live how the master, how Jesus Christ has led us. But so we don't. And we need to grow in our relationship with Christ. We need to see him as master and not servant. We need to see ourselves as servants and not masters. We need to think, and, and, and really that's countercultural. Everything is, what are we going to get for ourselves? You know, I'm going to do this for myself or that. But it needs to turn around, and it isn't until we truly understand the gospel will we understand that we're a servant. Because we can't be in control of something when the gospel tells us that you did nothing to get what I've given you. And if we've been given grace which the gospel tells us, then there's no way we can take that grace and say, well, I did this, now I can control my life because you didn't even do what you needed to control in order to earn the salvation because we don't understand that role. We have a role reversal. So we must grow in our understanding of our role. The servants don't question the master. They follow his direction. And again, this isn't a forced servitude. This isn't slavery like we think of slavery. That's why a lot of translations are changing the word slavery to bondservant because that's a better understanding is you, you attach yourself to a master willingly. You work for them willingly, but it's not a slavery. It's not this forced into it that we often have. 
that we are the servants and we are the masters. So we should submit to his desires. And when we finally submit to his desires, which we find in scripture, it's given to us. We know what he wants us to do. That's when we'll start growing. And so individually, what is our role? How are we servants of Jesus Christ in our lives, where we are now? Because he's placed us here. We talked about that last time, that we're, we're here for a reason in this time. We live here for a reason. And we talked about there's all these random ways that we actually live here. And a lot of times we have no idea why we ended up here, you know. But we are here for a reason, and God is sovereign, therefore he's sovereign in that. So as servants of the masters, agents of the master, how are we going to grow in understanding our role so that we can properly live that? Because when we do that, then we find growth. It's not, the, the growth comes after we do what we're supposed to do, not grow so that we can do what we want to. It's, it's the process. So we're going to understand. So we see ourselves as servants, as Peter says. He doesn't lead with apostle, which at this time when he's writing was a big deal. It, it was important. What he said, they, people listened to. And you see that throughout scripture. What the apostle said was what happened as far as the church. But no, they all had this true understanding of the gospel that I did nothing to gain this, so therefore I am a servant of Jesus Christ and an apostle. So we're a servant of Jesus Christ and we're supposed to be discipling others so that they can understand and grow. And the next thing we see is that we're to grow in our diversity and and we see this in the next verse. Um, he shifts his introduction to revealing who his audience is. Oftentimes that's where New Testament letters or even other letters that aren't scripture from that period is they would announce the author. They're backwards from what we do. They would announce the author and then the audience. And that's what Peter does. So he says, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God our Savior. Yeah, well, here's where where Peter's a little different here because he doesn't tell us where they are. He just says people that obtained an equal faith. Usually it's Paul to the saints in Ephesus or it's specific, okay? But we don't get that here, Second Peter. And, and there's some of that, that, there's some people that say it's, maybe that's because P- Peter didn't write this letter. There's some dispute on did Peter actually write it? And you can get into that and you can read all this craziness about people saying why Peter didn't write this or not. But the bottom line is, it still was added into Scripture. It was still useful for that. So we don't need to get into worrying about who actually wrote it and just understand that it was given to us by the Spirit for instruction. But he does, he does kind of allude to who it was. In, in chapter 3, verse 1, you don't have to turn. Uh, it says, now in the second letter I'm writing you, so he's, okay, so it, second letter, so let's look at the first. And, and who is that written to? It says, those who are elect exiles in dispersion on Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, and so when you look up that, I did it for you so you don't have to worry. You don't have to look in your maps at the back, try to figure out where that is. That's Asia Minor, which is basically, there's a little peninsula. It's the Asian part of Turkey and some of that. It's northwest of where Israel is. But... So we can see that, okay, so that's probably where he was writing too. And the reason I talked about that is because we need to understand when we start getting into books that there was an original audience. These aren't just random things made up for us 2,000 years after. They were, it was served a purpose in the second century, in the first century. 
So this was specific to what was happening and, and to help us understand what's going on, it's nice to know who it was because there's actually, despite it being 2,000 years, there's actually a lot of history that was preserved, not just biblical writings, but other historians so we can find out what's going on and that's going to help us. But what, what we need to look at today, and we can learn a lot from how he describes them. Look at how he describes them in the second part of verse 1. It says, who have obtained... A faith equal. Okay, so he's saying, he doesn't say where they are. We can, we can infer that it's probably Asia Minor. But he, the important part is that he says they've obtained a faith equal. So when he's reminding these, he's sending them this letter of going to be correction. And he says that you've obtained an equal faith. A faith that is equal to who? To everyone else. Okay, and it doesn't set up this categories of different people it sets up there's one faith and it was given faith and specifically here it's this is saving faith and so he's telling these people that you've been given faith that is equal equal to mine equal to the eyewitnesses remember these are people that didn't know Jesus they're just just like us we haven't physically seen Jesus they had neither but he's saying this is an equal faith. Your faith that you were given is the exact same as mine. And this, the, the faith that we are given is the exact same as theirs and the exact same as the eyewitnesses. There's nothing different. And so what that does, and, and you see this in Ephesians 2. Um, Ephesians 2, Paul says, By grace, through faith, you were saved. By grace, through faith, you were saved. And it's not of your own doing, but a gift. So we know that even faith, the faith we have to believe is given to us. There's nothing we bring. I think I said it last week that Martin Luther was asked, what do we bring to our uh, salvation? And he said, your sin. Okay, that was his response. He was kind of the blunt German type monk guy then. But that's what we do. We bring our sin. So even faith to believe is given to us. And so Peter's here is telling him that the faith is so if we have faith that's equal, then we need to realize that, that we are equal. And that's why I say we need to grow in our diversity because oftentimes we place differences at a higher value than God does. Our diversity is God-given. We have different gifts. But we've been given equal value. And so when we see other people, we need to realize that Peter here is telling us that, that we've obtained a faith equal to that. So when you, when you see that we've been given, we've been allotted amount of faith, we see that everyone is the same value. But oftentimes we don't think of it that way. We think of our differences. And you can just look around, even, even in a small group, as you're diverse. And don't think diversity is just racial. We have a tendency to do that. This is gifting. There's, there's people that do stuff that I can't do that do it well. A good example is Will playing the guitar because you don't want me to grab it right now. It's not good. But we should celebrate that diversity. Why? Because we have a faith that's been given to us that is equal as far as salvation. Under God's eyes, we are valued the same. Therefore, every person should be valued the same. We've been given different gifts, yes. But our diversity is God-given. So Peter's stressing here that they've been given equal faith and there isn't anything different. Why? Because that next part of verse, two, or verse 1, the last part of that, 
because it was given by God and Savior Jesus Christ. So the righteousness that's attached to this faith was given from the same source. A couple summers ago, I got to go to uh, Berlin with the church in Colleen we were going to and uh, just help with the English day camp and all that, which is kind of funny because they all speak English anyways. But um, so, uh, so just so you know, if you ever watch a show, like Lindsay was watching The Bachelorette, was it The Bachelorette, whichever one happened, and I usually watch a movie on my headphones while it's going on, but they were in Munich, so I thought, hey, what? But they're walking around with like this translation dictionary, and I'm like, that is so fake because everyone there speaks English. They might not want to, but they speak it. They, under, they at least understand it. But we were going, and I drink coffee, and, and I like to do that. So some of you might have heard this story, but I was going, and I was like, I, I took German in college. Maybe I can remember how to order German and have this little German experience of drinking coffee in this big city. So I go, and the only place that was open was a Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of Berlin, and it's a Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like, whatever, the lady working, she's German. Whatever, we'll go with it. So I walk in, and I'm all excited because I remember how to order. I know just enough to get in a conversation that I get messed up and can't get out of it. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. But so I walk in. It's my turn. I wait in line. My turn. I was like, um, ein Café bitte. It's just one coffee, please. And she looked at me and said, do you want sugar? <laughs> and I was like, sure. You know, so it ruined my, it ruined my experience because she spoke perfect English back to me. I was like, she could have at least gone worked with me here i know i don't necessarily look german but she could have worked with me but 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 i tell you that story it's funny because it's just this awkward moment but the coffee i got that night tastes the exact same as a dunkin donuts coffee here there's no difference and why is that it's because it originated from the same source they, they, where they get their coffee is the same place that the Dunkin' Donuts here because they're, we're so branded these days that they're going to hold their brand true. They're going to have any variation. And that's the same thing that Peter's saying here with our faith is that just because we're different doesn't mean that our faith is any different. We've been given the same faith. It doesn't matter where we are. And, and here, even speaking a 2,000-year difference, that faith is the exact same because it comes from the same source. It's backed with the same source. So just like the coffee that I had there in, in Alexander Plotz in the middle of Berlin is the same as you can get in Austin. The faith that was given to Peter and these Christians in Asia Minor is the exact same faith we were given. So we need to grow in our diversity because we need to accept that the fact that we're different because God wanted it that way. And really, if we were all the same, it'd be pretty boring. So we need to look around and see that the diversity is given to us by faith. And that, that Ephesians verse, Ephesians 2.12 that I read, the last part of it says, not a result of works so that no one can boast. So Paul's saying here, you were saved by grace through faith. And it's not of your own, it's not of works so that no one can boast. So if we can't boast, then we can't hold people to different levels of acceptance. And that's hard to do. And I've, I've always said, I think I've said it in almost every, this being the fifth service, I think I've said it in most of them already, but people aren't lovable. If we're, if we're honest, people get annoying. 
I just do. And I'm sure I got to be careful because I got neighbors in here and they'll be like, I know, I see you coming. And we're like, ah. but that's just what happens. But we have to look past that. We have to grow in our diversity so we realize that we've been given a faith that's equal. And while sometimes we might not like people because we're people, we should celebrate that difference because it is God-given. We should celebrate our diversity because we have equal value but not equal ability. Like, for example, Lindsay, she's not in here so I can talk about her. Lindsay can write really well. I'm not so much. I didn't really pay attention in English, I'll be honest. Okay, Ryan here runs all the time. I'd rather talk to him about running than go run down Big Divide with him. It's just, I get, I get enjoyment out of saying, oh, you ran six miles down Big Divide. I'll see you when you get back. I mean, that's just, I just, I'm not running well. And, but, but that's okay because we, we are different. We have different strengths and different weaknesses. In, um, in a commentary on Second Peter, uh, the author is Gene Green. He says, from the start, he, Peter being he, alerts the readers to the status and honor of which they received, as well as its universal or Catholic, Catholic being universal, not Catholic being church nature and this affirmation is an implicit call for them not to abandon what has been granted them by God and that they hold common with the wider church so we shouldn't abandon our faith simply because we're different because it's been given to us for the wider church the universal church the the church that is everywhere we talked about that last week we have a gathering here of the church but the church in a broader sense is any believer past, present, future. That's the church and we've all been given the same faith. So we should grow in our diversity because it was given to us by God. He created us different. We should celebrate that. We should grow in that. And then finally, we should grow in our knowledge of who God is. In that second verse, he finishes up his he finished up introduction with, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And see, this is basically just a typical Christian greeting. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's finishing up his introduction saying that I want grace and peace to be multiplied to you. But what does he actually mean there? What, what, is it, what does it actually mean and how can that propel us or grow us into knowledge of who God is? And the grace here that he's talking to is simply a summarization of the gospel. Grace is that we were given a Savior when we were enemies of God. Yet he gave us his son to live a life that we couldn't live and to die a death that we deserved. That's grace. And so when he says grace, it's, he's meaning, I, re- I want your knowledge of the gospel to continually increase so that your life, you will grow in that. And then he says peace too, grace and peace. Peace literally is meaning peace with God. Understand that, that we have a relationship with God and that continues to grow. And as we grow in grace and peace and that's multiplied in the knowledge of God, then we'll see that the gospel then propels us to grow. But it's growing through the knowledge of who God is. What did he do? And Peter desires for us to grow in that. He, that's what he's saying there, is I want you to grow in that. But what we need to understand is that knowledge of God and what he's been given us or what he's given us in grace and peace can never be separated from him. You can't separate the gifts from the giver. 
And we often try to do that. And when we do that, we, we stunt our growth because then it becomes about us. If we forget the giver, then all of a sudden we've obtained this. So we continue to try to obtain it because we've forgotten the giver. Grace and peace can't be separated from the one who gave it. Just as if I was to give you a gift, you would always associate that with, well, Cal gave me this. Even if you didn't like it, when you were re-gifting it, you would think, Kyle gave me this, I'm getting this out of the way, right? It's still attached with the giver. And then whoever you pawned it off on the next time, they would think, oh, well, they gave this to me. I wonder who gave it to them. It's always the gifts attached to the giver. In this case, grace and peace, grace, the gospel was given to us. Christ was given to us. It's attached to who God is. It's attached to who God is. And so when we see the gospel and we understand that the gospel is our means of growth, then we understand our role. Because if the gospel is everything about Jesus and nothing about us, then we are going to understand that we're his servants. And if it's everything about him and not us, then we will understand that our diversity is something to be celebrated. People do stuff that we can't do, and that's a good thing. And then as we understand that the gospel is all about Jesus and not about us, we realize that how good God is. And the last thing we'll look at in this is when we, look at, when we look at these two verses, we see this progression of Jesus in here. And we often overlook that because we just read it so quick. We just read it, a servant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtain a faith, equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And then we go, okay, so what's the rest of the book going to give us? But if you look at these two quick verses, in that first part of verse 1, it says, Peter, a servant and apostle of who? Of Jesus Christ. Just simply Jesus Christ. Just listening. I'm a servant apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, so why can he be a servant of Jesus Christ? You get that in the second part of verse 1. Because he's given us a faith by the righteousness of what? Of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So now it's not just simply Jesus. It's Jesus is our God and Savior. He's not simply someone to follow. No, he's our God. Because a master doesn't have to be God. In a sense of servant, we're attached to people that aren't God in our everyday lives. But what Peter's saying here is, yes, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's given us faith because he's God and Savior. So that elevates him a little higher. And then why can he be God and Savior? It's because he's our son. It's because he's the son. And that's verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And you see that it's, it's very, if you read it fast, you miss that. First, Jesus is God and Savior. Now, in verse 2, it's God and of Jesus. So we see a difference there. Peter's talking to the Father and the Son. So in these first two verses, we get this point of this triune nature of who God is. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Why? Because he's the Son of God the Father. If he wasn't the son, he wasn't the one that was sent. Therefore, he can't be our savior. And then how do we grow in our knowledge of who God is? The spirit gives us wisdom, comes into us, guides us daily. And so you see in these first two verses, Peter's setting us up to realize that there are different 
parts of one God. We have God the Father, we have Jesus the Son, we also have the Spirit that's going to multiply our knowledge. It's going to acknowledge the grace and peace that we've been given more and more and more so that we can then grow through the instruction that we get with the rest of the book. And that's why we call this whole series Grow is because when we stop and look at it from the very start, Peter's showing us how we grow in our knowledge and that's because we have the gospel and the gospel propels us forward because it's not about us. It's about him. So we need to understand that growth is good. That's what the, the kids are talking about in there is, is how, how the gospel leads us to growth. Growth, we need to grow. If we don't grow, we die. So we have to be working at it. But it's not us that accomplish that growth. It's Jesus that accomplishes that growth through his gospel working out in our lives, showing us that we can love unlovable people because we were unlovable and we were loved. So um, in a second, Will, will you come up and do one more song? That last one again. And, and it's simply, it, it can be a time of response, but it's simply when you, when you listen to those words of how great you are, that's a picture of how big the gospel is. And so uh, when we sing that one last time, it's just an acknowledgement of who he is and what he's done for us. If y'all will pray with me.